0: Welcome to Breakfast with Jesus. I know there's been a pause of some time since the last one. Um, no excuses except life. Well, I'm sure you can all identify with that. Uh, we've had quite a, a lot going on in our lives of late, but um, I'm uh, back in the saddle, as it were. The, uh, the first dozen or so of the Breakfast with Jesus talks are on the book of Jeremiah. And after that, Anne and I moved on to the book of Ezekiel. And that's what uh, I'm going to start now. Um, Now, I I want to begin with a big picture um, comparison of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. That's not an arbitrary comparison. It's not arbitrary because um, their lives were were linked um, around the fall of Jerusalem. So it's actually um, not just illuminating, but probably necessary to read them as um, twin accounts of the most uh, climactic uh, event in Israel's history. In other words, if we were to compare Israel, uh, sorry, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, that's an intrinsic comparison in a way that comparing Isaiah uh, with Jeremiah might not be. Now, and what I'm going to say, of course, um, I'm by no means um, an expert in these things. Uh, I use other people's expertise. What I do bring to it Most would be probably um, just the the dynamics of uh, Anne and my conversation, um, uh, plus a literary um, analysis, um, plus probably a, a positioning the books very much theologically in the New Creation Gospel. We use resources quite a lot and I did want to mention one that I'd highly recommend to everybody. It's called An Introduction to the Old Testament. It's by Tremper Longman and Ray Dillard, two guys um, who um, I respect a lot. And honestly, I'd highly recommend you buy a copy of that book because it just gives you a tremendous orientation to um, all the books of the Old Testament and including the debates around them, which is probably, I think, necessary in, in... in our day and age of scepticism. But with that in mind, um, in in this opening chat, I'm I'm gonna talk about the historical comparison between the two of them. Um, And the best way to think of this is is to actually root their lives and their themes in the reforms of Josiah. Um, Now, now Josiah um, was really important because Josiah, gets a tremendously high rap in the book of kings as even purer in heart than david which is quite extraordinary and he was he was the guy who initiated the last wave of attempted reform religious reform in israel's history now those his his reign lasted around about 30 years um between 628 bc and 609 bc so his, his death takes us up very close to the last era of Israel's history. Um, and that's thematically and theologically important because Josiah's reforms, in a sense, well, not in a sense, they failed. And it's rather tragic to read the Book of Kings and think, poor old Josiah, he did everything right. I mean, but it's a really good example of the way God works, which is God wants root and branch change. The best Josiah could do was what today we might call incremental change. He, he, he patched over the cracks. That's all he could do. Um, it's clear he didn't change the culture of Israel, the religious culture. He couldn't. He couldn't get into their change of worldview. Um, which were still syncretic still mucking around with the pagan gods all that could do that proved to be a kind of a death quote unquote and I think that's really worthwhile using that imagery of death to describe the destruction of Jerusalem because it's a principle of gods that life comes out of death and Death is the most complete in a way cleansing of the past anyway, with that having been said um, jeremiah he was think of him as about twenty five years older roughly than ezekiel and he actually so he was born he was older than josiah um, born probably around six forty five b c so Josiah became king at the age of eight eight years old and Um, Jeremiah's ministry began in Josiah's lifetime, um, coincided roughly with his reforms and continued uh, for 40 years uh, right through to the destruction of Jerusalem and afterwards possible exile in Egypt. So Jeremiah's life spanned the epic uh, decline and fall of the nation of Israel, starting with Josiah's reforms through to the final destruction in 586. And he lived in Jerusalem all that time. He was, he was inside it. And he was clearly, um, as we said in our talks before, a player. He was, don't think of him as a, as a kind of a, a rustic prophet out on the streets. He was in the courts of power, highly educated and politically um, connected. So that's that's Jeremiah looking at these events. Ezekiel, who was younger, um, was also a priestly class, also amongst the world to do, um, and he was exiled in the first exile. Now, you probably know that the Babylonians had two goes at sacking Jerusalem. Um, The first one was 597 BC, and... They got hold of Jehoiakim, who was only eighteen years old, and with several thousand of the ruling class of Jerusalem, they they um, took them captive into Babylon, and and they hoped that they would, in doing so, you know, chop the rebellion of um, Israel off at the neck, and they put a new head in. Uh, who turned out Zedekiah, who was a puppet king who who then rebelled again so um, so so that period between the first sacking of five ninety seven and the and the eventual destruction that 's quite an important context because it was during that time that Ezekiel began his prophecies now so ezekiel 's gone to babylon he 's living there as a young person, um, he clearly did know jeremiah 's work because he refers to it and he builds on it so so now he's looking um now he begins his his prophetic ministry in this interim period, right where it's a no man's land between the initial exile, the puppet king Zedekiah back in Jerusalem and the eventual destruction so he he begins in a sense where jeremiah where Jeremiah is not ending, but Jeremiah is has by that time, looking at the same events, been prophesying for for decades. So um, both of them were had a front row seat on the la- on the last days of Israel of of Israel or Judah, the last days, the apparent. Um, threatened annihilation of the knowledge of, the, of Yahweh, the only monotheistic God upon the face of the earth. That's, they had the front row seats. Now, as regards... Um, the... Uh, so, so, sorry, let me just backhand. Um, so so I, I view Jeremiah as kind of looking from the problem out And Jeremiah, both of whereas Ezekiel's almost looking in from the future back, Um, and you can understand in their their context and positioning why that would be so. Jeremiah was actually physically in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was physically in the land of exile, this no man's land. They both Jeremiah and Ezekiel have roughly the same um, structure. In other words, a structure that the first half of the book begins by diagnosis and proclamation of the problem, the sin of Israel. Then both books, at, and that that leads them to hopelessness at face value because both of them are actually going to say, so deep is the is the sin, so deep is the cultural syncretism so so superficial is the knowledge of of god in jewish religion there is no hope for it it's going to get obliterated that's the message of both of them if you think of that message that is apparently a hopeless message but having rejected false hope they were both given a transcendent vision of a new hope that went way beyond israel way beyond the imaginative boundaries of both Jeremiah and Ezekiel they were clearly um, talking about something that they were just looking at through a glass darkly. Jeremiah announces a new covenant famously and we talked about that in I think it's 31 33 forget the exact chapter really famous and I, I did a whole section on that that's what Hebrews 8 quotes this new covenant this new agreement between God and humanity Ezekiel does the same thing, but Ezekiel amplifies that into resurrection. We all know about chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel's vision takes the new covenant into new territory of resurrection and a new temple and a new heaven and new earth is really what is foreshadowed in that new temple. That's what that vision finishes the book of Ezekiel. And it's that vision that really... So it structures the book of Revelation. Um, the book of Revelation draws on Ezekiel profoundly, consistently, much more than, for instance, it draws on the book of Jeremiah. So um, that's the big picture. Um, I mean, I, I actually like... I mean, I think both men were passionate, deep men. I mean, a lot of people thought... A lot of people, modern people look at Ezekiel and think he was... Um, Pathological and obsessive. I don't know if that's so or not, but Ezekiel definitely introduces an apocalyptic genre, and part of that, from a from a stylistic point of view, is his the heavy reliance on successive images, um, visions um, that evidence themselves in two things. One is street theatre, and the other is imagery. And the opening chapter of the book is um famously uh famously transcendent and what i love about that opening chapter when he he first gets the call of god and sees the vision of angelic beings and wheels within wheels i'm not going to go into that chapter now but what you'll notice about that chapter is time and time again, he has a phrase along the lines of, in the likeness of, or the appearance of the likeness of. He is aware that his language is stumbling to capture what he saw, let alone the reality behind it. Um, and I think it's a marvellous um, example of, of the, the limits of imagery and the benefits of imagery. Um, that uh, the Bible itself is declaring um, that Ezekiel saw real things, that lang- the language he used to describe it was inadequate, but nonetheless it was effective. Um, we cannot um, in precise ways describe heaven. We cannot in precise ways describe God. We our language will always be a synecdoche um, of that reality but that the fact that it's a synecdoche of course synecdoche is a a very my my view the most sophisticated form of imagery synecdoche is adequate it does the job of opening our minds um, into the corridor of the transcendent Uh, i like thinking of uh, the style of ezekiel like some of the um paintings of the mature Turner. If you look at Turner's landscapes, I was looking at his slave ship picture, um, pictures of the sea, you can't tell what's the sea and what's the sky. It's as if he's collapsed the boundaries uh, between sea and 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 sky. There's no horizon, there's no real horizon. And it's almost as if Turner is seeing the transcendent in the mundane. To him, the, to him, it's as if all of creation is now transcendent and illuminated. Um, and uh, the, the sky is now connected to the sea and the earth and vice versa. And that's how I like to think of Ezekiel, like a Turner painting, where he's collapsing the boundaries between heaven and earth and taking us into that world so um uh that's my introduction to the book of ezekiel um I, uh, the, the way i'll go is there's nothing actually that systematic about the what's going to follow they're just um they're episodic um chapters uh, that that I'm going to talk about where Anne and I latched onto something um roamed around it, um, explored it. So the, the first one will actually be in chapter six and our explorations took me to Dostoevsky. So I'll talk about that next time.